Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. See, such a great crowd. It's fantastic. Wow. One of my favourite television programmes is MasterChef. Uh, not, not that I intend to try my hand at cooking at all. Nor do I expect Barbara to produce the kind of dishes that they do. Though I have to tell you that occasionally I mark her out of ten like they do on <laughs> the best British menu. I'm certainly not prepared to pay, pay the kind of prices in a restaurant that you would have to to eat that kind of food. No, I just enjoy watching the skill of these people uh, and the competition between them. And I particularly admire those occasions uh, when they're sent to somewhere like a factory or, or a military unit and they have to cook for as many as 100 people. And they find it very demanding, especially as they've got to provide a, a variety of courses, uh, of dishes. Uh, so that people can choose. I wonder how they would cope with catering for over 5,000 people. Well, as we've already found out, that's exactly what Jesus did. And we're going to read the passage. If you've got your Bible, it will be on the screen, but that's just in case you forgot to bring your Bible. <laughs> Luke 9, 10 to 17. When the apostles returned, just to remind you they had been on a mission, Jesus sent them out to preach and heal, cast out demons, claim the kingdom of God, and we thought about what the kingdom of God meant last week. So when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they'd done, they were debriefed. Then he took them with him, and they withdraw, withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. And the whole idea was that they would have a lovely, restful time, perhaps a bit of food, um, but just chilling out with Jesus. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. So what did he do? Send them away? We're going to have a. We've got. We're on retreat. You know, we're having our our our, our sort of quiet time. Uh, you can't come and disturb us now, surely? No. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, that's about probably four o'clock our time. It always got dark by six o'clock and uh, somewhere about then was the main meal of the day. Okay. So late in the afternoon, as the day was winding up, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread. And don't forget, that's not our loaves, that's these little rolls. Uh, and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, some women and children as well. 
But he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. Thank you for what you've been showing me during the week. We just pray now that by your spirit, you will impress upon each one of us what you want us to, to know, what you want us to learn, what you want us to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So I guess we should see it as particularly significant. Luke's account is the shortest and most succinct. And I shall therefore feel free to refer to details from the other three accounts. Two accounts, maybe. For example... From Mark's Gospel, we learn uh, that the grass was green. <laughs> that means it was springtime, because the rest of the year it was yellow, just like it's been outside here. And that is then confirmed by John's account, which tells us it was near Passover time, in other words, around about March, April. And this, in turn, uh, may have caused the people to see Jesus as another Moses, ensuring that God's people in the wilderness received the food that they required. But the big question, might as well grasp the nettle, don't want to avoid anything, was it really a miracle? Many people find it totally incredible, impossible to believe, so there have been many alter alternative suggestions as, as to what really happened. And I don't see much value in going through a long list with you. Some people think, you know, um, it could have been those rich ladies. Remember in, in, in Luke chapter 8, there were some rich ladies who, who went around with Jesus and his disciples and, and, and looked after them, supplied their needs, made the sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, but they're not mentioned here. So we can't just say that. That's sheer speculation. Others suggest that this is a, a beefed-up version of the incident recorded in 2 Kings chapter 4, where the prophet Elisha, instructed by God, uses 20 little loaves of barley bread to feed 100 men. And there were still some left over, it says. Similar sort of incident, you see. Now, the Gospel writers may want us to make that connection, may want us to, to recollect what Elisha did, what God did through Elisha, uh, but that doesn't mean they invented this incident. Of course, the most common explanation is that many in the crowd, like the little boy, who's only mentioned in John's account, had brought food with them. And Jesus used the example of the little boy who was willing to, to, to give his food to Jesus uh, to persuade those with food to share with those who hadn't got food, who hadn't brought their, their sandwiches and their, their picnic hamper. But as Tom Wright says, 
If the disciples had known that even a few people had food with them, there wouldn't have been a problem in the first place. No? If we, as Christians at least, believe that these accounts in the Gospels are based on the memories of eyewitnesses and they're recorded under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, then what we have here is a real, amazing miracle, which is, in the end, not unbelievable if we understand who Jesus really is. The one, the Son of God, through whom the, everything was created, by whose powerful word the whole universe is upheld. The Son of God who came to us as a man to show us what God is like, to make it possible for us to enter into a, a, a saving relationship with, with God. So we accept it as a miracle. We don't understand how Jesus did it. He did it. Now, there are many possible ways, of course, of looking at this incident, uh, and I can't cover them all. I'm not going to try. I'm just going to focus on three aspects. First of all, the crowds. Secondly, Jesus. And thirdly, the disciples. First of all, we have hungry crowds. And, and I noticed this, that we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but there are actually two feedings here. There's a spiritual one followed by a literal physical one. You see, the crowds followed Jesus and they disturbed his plans to give his disciples a well-earned break after their exhausting mission. That crowd was not looking for a free meal. Right? There's no suggestion that they felt hungry when they first arrived, probably first thing in the morning. But as it gets late, as we said, around about four o'clock, and the sun's going to set soon, then perhaps they did begin to feel hungry. But it wasn't them who said anything about being hungry. <laughs> In three accounts, it's the disciples who draw Jesus' attention to the people's need for food. And in John's account, it's Jesus himself who initiates a discussion about how such a great crowd can be fed. Now, John actually says that the crowds followed Jesus because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. So some of them clearly came because they were looking for healing and they believed that Jesus was willing and able to help them, and they weren't wrong. Others may, of course, simply wanted to watch what he did and, and marvel at these amazing cures. It's a bit like watching a magician and trying to work out how he does his tricks. Possibly. It would be nice to think, of course, that the majority of these people didn't have any medical problems. They'd actually come because they wanted to hear Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. They were hungry for God's word. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Hungry for spiritual food. It's wonderful when, when, when people, and God's, including God's people, are really hungry to, to know what God has to say. And certainly, that's what Jesus saw as their primary need. He was very willing to meet people's physical needs, healing, and if necessary, for food, as we have in this example. Uh, but it's very clear that he regarded people's spiritual needs as paramount. The need to know God, 
the need to experience his forgiveness, the need to live in a way that God intends. That was their primary need. So let's pause and think about the people of Whitney, shall we? If we were to ask them what they need, we'd get a whole variety of answers, wouldn't we? Some would speak about medical conditions, some would describe problems at work, problems in the family, others would describe the, the difficulties of making ends meet at the moment, and so on. I wonder how many of them would say, I need to hear the message about Jesus and the love of God. No? Sad, isn't it? And yet we know that's their greatest need. You know, as followers of Jesus, we should be willing to pray with people for healing, yes, or for God's help in whatever situation they are. We should gladly support the, the work of CAP, of Beeston, of the food bank, and so on. But in the final analysis, we, need, we know that they need to hear the message about Jesus. Right? They need to put their trust in him. They need to receive forgiveness and the empowering of the Spirit of God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the people of Whitney today flocked to hear the gospel message as they did when John Wesley visited Whitney? Hmm? What can we do about it? Well, we can witness by word and action to our neighbours, our families, our work colleagues, our friends, and with those with whom we spend leisure time. We can show the difference that it makes to have Jesus in our lives. We can offer Alpha course or Christianity Explored courses. We can try even to get them to come inside a church, but they find that very difficult, don't they? Alien territory. Uh, we'd love them to experience the presence of God amongst his worshipping people, wouldn't we? But above all, we should be earnestly praying for a widespread turning of the people of Whitney to Jesus. We're not going to confine it to Whitney, but this is where God's put us. This is our first responsibility, isn't it? And then there's, then there's the UK as a whole, and then there's the whole world. Uh, uh, we're going to pray that God will graciously look on the people of Whitney, open blind eyes, soften hard hearts, cause people to cry out to him for mercy and for forgiveness. It's not happened yet. And it won't probably happen unless we pray. Well, that's the evidence of history, of church history. So as we explore this narrative further, we're going to look for clues as to how we could be involved in meeting the needs of the people of Whitney. And so then, secondly, we focus upon the person of Jesus. Mark's account says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The shepherd leads his sheep to the green pastures where they can feed in peace and stillness and quietness. In other words, this is Jesus wanting to take the role of, the, of Yahweh in Psalm 23. He wants to be the good shepherd of those who are willing to be his sheep. And it's a role that will eventually take him to the cross to lay down his life for the sheep. Now notice two things here. First of all, the motivation of Jesus, and then what it led him to do. First, he had compassion on the crowds who had no leader to follow. Many of us know, I think, that the Greek word that's been translated had compassion here is a very strong and striking one. It derives from the word uh, for the inner parts 
uh, of the body. It, it describes a very deep, visceral, gut-wrenching emotion, not quite what the Duchess of Sussex called guttural. Think about it. Am I? Um, and uh, it's a word that occurred when we had the story of the raising of the widow of Nain's son. The NIV says of Jesus, his heart went out to her. One way of, of translating it. It's a verb that occurs in the New Testament only in the first three Gospels. It comes in the parables of the prodigal son, the good Samaritan, and the unmerciful servant. Otherwise, it's used only of Jesus and the way he responded to human need. And it suggests that it's, it's no mere human emotion. This compassion shown by Jesus was the compassion of God himself. And that compassion, as uh, Scrivener says, trumped his own need for rest and food. He was tired and hungry, but it's their needs that come first. And he has compassion on them. And if we're disciples of Jesus, we also should be showing compassion to those around us in need, whatever kind of need that might be. Now, it's true, we're all different. I don't know about you, some of us are easily moved to, to pity, to tears, even to impulsive action, uh, and we give, give at the drop of a hat. Well, that's great, um, especially when we encounter the need firsthand, even when we see it through the media. Some of us are a little bit more cerebral, um, and, and it doesn't affect our innards, at least it doesn't affect my innards at all much. But that doesn't mean we can't respond in an appropriate way. Right? We give thought to it. Who are we going to give to? Is this what the Lord wants me to give to? And so, Because we're not robots, are we? And there's something missing if there isn't some sense of compassion, some pity for people around us. And secondly, notice this, that the compassion of Jesus moved him. Uh, well, what, what, let's notice what the compassion of Jesus moved him to do. When he was confronted with a medical need, it led him to heal. When he was confronted with someone demon-possessed, it led him to give deliverance. But here, the primary need of this crowd is for teaching. Right? Not for, not for food, not for bread and fish, but for teaching. So he began teaching them many things. He's not going to ignore their physical needs, but he knows that their spiritual needs come first. Again, a quote Glenn Strivener, he doesn't put on a soup kitchen and then slip in a God slot talk. No, he has a holistic ministry, souls and stomachs. But souls first, stomach second. And that's why in John's account, Jesus follows up the literal feeding of the crowds with his teaching about him being the bread of life, come down from heaven, like the manna in the wilderness in the, in the time of Moses. And those who eat this bread, he says, those who put their trust in him will live forever. Now that's the sort of food you need. Okay? The other, well, you need as well, but in the light of eternity, you need the heavenly spiritual food. And that confirms exactly what we're looking at. As disciples of Jesus, we, we will not brush away people's uh, physical needs. 
we won't insist uh, that they have a, a greater need. Sorry, we will insist. <laughs> I can't read my own notes. We, we, we will insist that they have a greater need than any of these physical needs. They need to be taught about, about who Jesus is and what he's done to make it possible for them to have a relationship with God. Meeting physical needs has relevance only for this life. People's basic spiritual need is for eternal life, a guarantee of being part of God's new creation world. Now before we leave this focus on Jesus, let's just notice where Luke has placed his narrative of the feeding of the 5,000. He sandwiches it, good word, between Herod's question and Jesus' questions. Herod says, this is, this is chapter 9, verse 9, I beheaded John, who then is this I hear such things about? And then Jesus asks his disciples, and this is the next passage in, in chapter 9, 18 to 20, who do the crowds say I am? Who do you say I am? And it looks very much to me as if Luke intends the miracle of the feeding to point to the answer to these questions. Now that's really the topic for next week, so I won't go any further down that line. But you see, in John's account, the people are so uh, uh, amazed by this miracle that they say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And they're talking about the promise that was made through Moses that God would raise up uh, someone greater than Moses in other words, a, uh, the Messiah. And that's why the crowd, according to John's account, after this miracle, were going to try and make Jesus king by force. But he nipped off to pray. More about that next week, perhaps. <laughs> Thirdly, let's come to the involved disciples, shall we? Jesus includes the disciples at every point in this miracle, okay? They're involved. They're not just watching. They must have been very tired and hungry themselves, just as Jesus must have been tired and hungry. Think about it. We don't do our best when we're tired and hungry, do we? Hard to concentrate on helping other people when we're tired and hungry. What Jesus does is what he expects his disciples to do. <laughs> They've just managed to have that debriefing session after their recent evangelistic mission, but as Mark tells us, they haven't had a chance to eat or rest before the crowds just descend on them. So when late in the afternoon they tell Jesus to send the crowd away to find food and lodging, they may well have been thinking of their own needs as well as the crowd's needs. Uh, I find it, it sounds a bit cheeky, really, for disciples to be telling their teacher what to do. Send them away. But Jesus lets that pass. He just simply retorts. He's got other plans. You give them something to eat. Wow. You know, take those, just take that one sentence away with you. That's, that would be enough. If you forget everything else this morning, this is what Jesus is saying to us, his people, you give them something to eat. You. Not me. <laughs> Not at this point. You. And they're brought up with a start. They say, you must be joking. In effect, well, they didn't even say that. In effect, they're saying, you know, you must be joking. 
what we have is totally inadequate to feed this crowd. We've got five little barley loaves and two little fish, like sort of sardines out of the tin. Uh, they belong to a little boy called Andrew, but uh, Luke doesn't bother about that. And, and if we were to buy enough food to, to feed this crowd, it would take over, over a half a year's wages. And Jesus' response is quite so simple. He takes the little that they had, and with his divine creative power, he makes it sufficient for everyone there. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? Yes, Louis got it right about providing. That was lovely, wasn't it? So Jesus performs the miracle that only he can, while the disciples are given the job of organizing the logistics of distributing the food to such a great number of people and then collecting the leftovers. But they got one basket each, and that would have lasted them a little while, wouldn't it? So they did well out of it. So what is God saying to us through this passage? One of the many things I believe he's saying to us. Faced as we are with the needs, not only of the people of Whitney, but ultimately of the whole world, is he saying to us, you give them something to eat? Whether we think of physical needs or spiritual needs, it's an overwhelming demand. How could we possibly obey this, this direction of Jesus? Well, the answer suggested by this incident is that, first of all, we acknowledge our total inadequacy. Who is sufficient for these things? Faced with such overwhelming need. Our inability to solve neither the physical nor the spiritual needs of the world. How can we? But then we hand the problems over to Jesus. And we look to him to tell us what he wants us to do in, as individuals and perhaps as a church. And then we, what it says, it says to us is this, that he will use those little resources and abilities that we have, and they are little, to work miracles in our town and in our world. Can we believe that? And this is not passing the buck or, or opting out of our responsibilities. It's recognizing, as Jesus says elsewhere, apart from me, you can do nothing. Your little bit's not going to count at all if I'm not in it, if I'm not, I haven't been asked to do a miracle. We don't have to perform the miracles. That's his job, if I can put it that way. We simply are asked to follow instructions. And if we do, we find that not only are the people satisfied with their needs being met, but we too have a, have a surplus. We too are fed. We should believe that. So, and I'm this short, I'm always short, whether we're thinking about the physical needs of those around us and in the wider world, or whether we're thinking about meeting people's uh, spiritual needs, we need just to bring our limited resources and abilities to Jesus. We ask him to tell us what he wants us to do with them and then do what he says. And he'll do the miracle. Now I'm sure there's much more in this passage, but that's what God's laid on my heart and we've got loads of time to respond. So we're going to have a moment's quietness.
there are any people who we haven't prayed for the this is no this is no uh, criticism we haven't i think prayed for the world today um and, and and issues there so would some people please lead us in prayer so that i'm not doing it all so a moment's quietness first of all thinking about ourselves and then thinking about Whitney and, and the world. And, and you bring, feel free just to, to, to respond in the way you believe God is saying. Am I hungry for Jesus to teach me? Do I really want to know his will for my life? Or am I really prepared to do it if he does show me? And am I really concerned about others? Do I have compassion on them? Do I realize that if they don't put their trust into Jesus, put their trust in Jesus, they're lost? Do we want them to receive his blessings? Church, let's respond.